0: crazy (laughs) hey thanks tim was so cool i'm like is he here right now i feel like he's here right now that's i was just thinking as i was listening i was like God, you can get on a plane and be on the other side of the world and see what god is doing i just think that's beautiful um and it really reflects i think the christmas story where god comes dwells does the impossible sees a land, a world, his creation, and says, I just, I want to see what's happening here. I want to be here with you. right?" And, and, and so, I, it's so it's so cool. And that reading, I, I'm like, why am I up here? That's enough. <laughs> and the accent, is that a British accent? No? What is that? It's just, an, it's, it's just, I was like, I just want her to read to me before I go to bed every night. <laughs> And you can never get away with that with a Chinese accent. That would never work on a Sunday. I'll just tell you that right now. It just be a horrible, horrible moment. We'd all appreciate it. We might even respect it, but we would not enjoy it. I just say that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, it is Christmas. And I think for a lot of us, it feels slightly early because we're dealing with the residue, not the residue, I should say that, I should be be careful. We're dealing with uh, the hangover of Thanksgiving and and having spent enormous amounts of time already in that season. And so it just feels like it came really fast. I don't know if it did for you, it has for me. And part of the reason why I think it also feels a little early is because, uh, Alex helped me find this, and so I I take no credit for it, Uh, because we jettisoned into this like and and, and it's kind of like this mashup of kind of how we see christmas and the nativity scene right it's like this amalgamation of worlds coming together to somehow say okay we're going to step into this very large jesus i mean this is a big jesus poor mary poor mary i've already thinking. <laughs> But you know, when you think about the nativity scene, it's kind of like one of these, there's peace, there's calm, there's rest. And I think when we jump right into that, it feels too early because when we think about our lives, we think about some of the things we're going through, it doesn't feel that way at all. It doesn't feel calm. It doesn't feel restful. There isn't a sense of peace. Which kind of makes us wonder what was happening before all of the peace and all of the rest and all of the calmness and the joy as maybe all of creation paused for that moment to welcome in the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. It would imply that there was unrest. I know this really isn't a word, but an unpeace. There might even be a darkness, a difficulty, a circumstance. And you know right away, you have to ask the question, what was happening during the birth of Jesus? And to enter into the space where we begin to look at the birth of Christ, that question has to be answered, to fully engage it. And I think by answering that question you'll realize our worlds really aren't that far apart, that this can be just as inspiring as it was for the first people and for that first moment where you cut through all the glitz and all the glamour of Christmas, and you just sit with the living God. And so to understand what was happening at the time as it sets up kind of the context, really for Christmas and Advent, I want to go to Matthew's account of uh, of the Christmas story. And I I want to go to the genealogy. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to preach on the genealogy. But there is a phrase in the genealogy of Jesus that sets up the entire Christmas story. And it's at the tail end of the genealogy. And it's in Matthew chapter 1. If you have a Bible, turn there. If not, that's cool. If you're you're here for the first time, you're just trying to figure out this whole Christian thing. Because it's super interesting, a little weird for you. That's cool. Be here. Read it on the screen. Follow along. We totally welcome you here at Mosaic. Uh, Right after he gets done talking about 14 generations, he says this, kind of in review, in verse 16. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all of Matthew is set up with this understanding that this is about a Messiah, a Lord. Which implies this Matthew piece, this incredible account of the person and work of Jesus, is going to be about a king and a kingdom. Always about a king and a kingdom as you read Matthew. But then it says this in verse 17. Thus, there were 14 generations, all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. And 14 from the exile to the Christ. That word exile is significant. It's history. It explains to you what the nation of Israel and the Jewish people and God's people were encountering. Exile refers to many centuries prior... Where Babylon, the Babylonians, took over Israel, took its lands, enslaved the people of God, due in part because of God's people's, God's, God's Israel, His his people, His chosen people's inability to trust Him, be faithful. It was prophesied. It was it was explained. And so they're all they're all going through some kind of deportation. Right? It it is horrible. It is horrific. You fast forward generations later, and you read this, and now it's the birth. Of Christ, right? This is Christmas. Christmas is starting to enter into this setting, and now who's reigning? Caesar Augustus. He's reigning now. He's conquered what he believes is the entire world, from the Mediterranean, all of the most of the Middle East, right, east of the Mediterranean, all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, Africa, Egypt, all of Rome, as far as what we know today is what Great Britain, England, right? It is enormous. It's enormous. And as he's conquering, he's believing that he is now the ruler. He declares himself the Messiah. He declares himself the king. And he puts it on coin. Declaring that Caesar is what? God. He's Lord. He even creates 12 days of Advent for himself. Where they'll celebrate the coming of the Messiah. Because he was the son of God sent by his father in the heavens. And as he's doing that, he's taxing people 90% of their income, their resources. They're super poor. So much so that since they can't take any of the means that they're garnishing from their own lands and their own harvest and their own basic resources, they have to go inside gig, right? They have to get another hustle. They, they learn how to, you know, fish. They learn uh, how to build things with their hands so they're carpenters. So there's this constant sense that everyone is just constantly trying to make it. No one is thriving. And there is this fear that is hovering over everybody because nobody knows what's next. Whether it be that Rome would be crucifying people for the sake of crucifying them. Or that he would be telling them, you better do or else. Fear. Fear. We all have it. We all experience it. I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful that the election period is over. And I, I feel that, oh, yes, thank you. And, and a big part of that is because it was all driven out of fear. I cannot tell you how many ads, or how many times I would listen on the radio, or how many times I would see on the TV screen just a, a 30 second to a minute ad about how. How dangerous it would be to vote for this person. And the world's going to fall apart. And everything that could go wrong in life will go wrong if this person is elected. Constant fear. Fear, fear. But even individually in our own hearts, whether it be the geopolitical or the reality of what's going on inside, there is an exile, I think, that goes on within us. Where we do feel quite separated from God. Separated from his love. Separated from His desire for for you. All of that. Even so much so that you feel fear. Fear of not making the grade. Or making the cut. Getting the quota in. Paying your bills. Keeping your job. Constant fear. Fear of being alone. This is what Christmas enters into. This is... What well, Christmas engages. This is the lens in the context that we have to start to think about hope. Because I believe that if we try to set our hearts right ourselves and say, okay, well, now we're just going to try to prepare ourselves for Jesus and Christmas. We will fail at that. But if we say, let's let Christmas enter into us. Let's let it transform us so that it might prepare us for him we might actually start to see a transformation through the Christmas story, through Christ. So I want to invite us to do that, because when we do that, I really believe that there is a transformation that happens through our fears, and that happens when we begin to experience this hope during Christmas. And I want to see and show you that through the life of Joseph, who Matthew decides to engage first. Luke wants to talk about Mary. Mark forgets about the whole Jesus birth. It's really weird. John goes very theological on us, but Matthew has his heart for Joseph. And he explains how this hope really begins to arise out of his own fears, his circumstances. Verse 18 says this, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about, how it entered into every aspect of exile, every aspect of fear, every moment of anxiety. This is what the Christmas story enters into. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. but Before they came together, she was found to be with the child through the Holy Spirit. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You can you can imagine the tossing and turning for Joseph. you just you just uh, a little indulgent. I, I don't know what every emotion is going on in his heart and, his, and what his thoughts are, but it, it does say that he spent time, and in his mind, he had come to some kind of resolution. But no matter what happens to Joseph, it's a loss. See, if he takes Mary... It's like okay you did this you had a child before you were supposed to and so he fears what what is what oh that was a baby sorry <laughs> that was perfect <clears throat> he, he yeah yeah right yeah uh, he fears rejection and social outcasting right he's just they're never going to be accepted yeah ever fear that moment where you're like if someone only finds out if they knew who I really was and all the crap in my life what would go down on the other side of this if he says he decides he doesn't and that's what he does do he kind of slips through the back door is what he's deciding he loses his dreams it's a true hashtag FOMO he's going to miss out. I mean, he was going to start a family. He was going to build a home. The Jewish tradition and culture was, during the engagement period, if possible, the husband, the fiance, would actually build a house. And everyone would probably see this house. And the bride would be ultimately given to the the groom, and there would be this great ceremony, and she, she would be received by him, and they would enter into that home together. And that's that's a dream that so many of us live and want. Right? The home, the <laughs> the picket fence, the dog, the child, the baby, the, the legacy. So if he takes or doesn't take her in, it's a loss, it's difficult. There's constant fear and anxiety. But in his mind, he resolves that the only way I can mitigate all of this loss and insecurity is if we just kind of do this quietly. And fear has a way of, making us do things quietly. And yet, this is what the story begins to engage. It says here in verse 21, But after he considered all this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, right? Speaking back to that genealogy, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, that this is something divine, that this is something miraculous and beautiful. So don't be afraid. Now, when I read that, I go like, is God like seriously trying to torture Joseph? Because I can tell you, if I had a dream, I'd still be pretty freaked out by all that. And if someone said, oh yeah, that's from the Holy Spirit, I'd still even be more freaked out by that. So there's no way I'm calm at this moment. But again, I can't say that that's true for Joseph at all. What I do know is that the commandment is to not be afraid. And he's not saying, or I should say, it could be a woman, I don't, I don't know, the angel's not, I don't know, it's a female or male, but the angel of the Lord says, what? Don't be afraid. And the, and the verb there is, it's a little bit kind of, I apologize, a little grammar oriented, but the word be is so significant. Because what that implies is that it's passive. And when you look at the original language, you see that it's passive. In other words, it's this demand, it's this this urgency that the angel wants. It's to say, look, you can't let fear overcome you. You can't stay in that fear. Fear is natural. Let's just all admit, fear has allowed humanity. Most sociologists will say fear is what has allowed humanity to overcome all sorts of things. Evil, war, disease, pain, suffering, evils. Fear is natural. Your brain is wired to fear. This cannot be overcome. You cannot get rid of fear. So everyone explains Experiences fear, so let's stop pretending that we don't have fear. That's not what the angel is trying to say. The angel is just simply saying, "Don't stay in that fear, because fear creates paralysis, or you'll do things you regret doing with your your anxiety and your worry." I was driving to Salem, Oregon. Yes, Salem, Oregon. Don't judge. <laughs> Fifty minutes from where I was to Salem, Oregon, and right at that moment, right at that moment, this little light on my dashboard. As I'm just getting started, it says MTPS. What does that stand for? Tire pressure sensors. And I'm thinking, okay, stop flashing at me, right? That's what I really wanted to do. At first I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, the weather is kind of slow. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of a little cooler. It's, 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 you know, tire pressures fluctuate during cold weather. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, but what if my tire is flat? Or what if something's wrong with the sensors and my whole axle system is broken? And then five minutes goes, and I'm hitting Wilsonville at this point, And now I'm thinking, what if my tire falls off? And then it just spirals on me. And then I think, I'm going to die. There's going to be a 10-car ax- car crash. And it's going to be that Asian guy who's a horrible driver that they're going to report on. It's going to be me. And then my children are going to be homeless, and they're going to not have a father, and I don't have a will. What are we going to do? And literally for 45 minutes, it is pure torture. And I am thinking, am I going to make it? The boat, uh, my boat is bumpy right now. I, of course, you're driving. And I, I get to my meeting in Salem, and the light just turns off. It's horrible. It was like God was playing a horrible trick on me, just for this moment. But you could see something as small as just this little light on your car, your dashboard, how that could create so much anxiety. Think about this. I think about the things that, other things that are going on in our world, in our lives, and how much, how much bigger that all of that really is. And how, if you're not careful, how we're not careful, that could really overtake us. Fear is a real huge thing. And, and so, the key here is when you see do not be afraid in the scriptures, it's actually the most reiterated commandment. In the Bible. More than love the Lord your God with all your heart. The great Shema. And that prayer. Uh, more, more more than um, love your neighbor as yourself. More than any of that. It is the most reiterated, restated commandment in all of scripture. And what's so amazing is every time it is stated. Every time, right around the corner is something better. That God's not trying to say, hey, ignore your fears. But just turn this way because something Awesome is about to happen. And here, what he gets that calms everything, that literally makes him understand where he's at, is a vision. And that comes through a name. Listen to what the angel says. It says here, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He's going to save them. he heard the word Jesus. And Jesus was a common name at this time. This is not a a unique name. It's a a very common name, like John. Right? It's a very common name. It's not, it's not, there were plenty of people who were named Jesus, but when you tagged it with, he will save them from their sins, he knew exactly what that was about. It wasn't just the stuff that he was going through at that moment, or the things that he had done wrong, or the things he might do in the future. It was actually about the exile. But his dad and his Daddy and his great granddaddy, and all that, all all that brokenness. They were in a hot mess because of them. And sometimes we think sin and brokenness is the things that we do with our lives, which is true. We are all broken. We do things we regret. We do things against people, but a lot of times it's systemic. That there is residue that we deal with because of other generations and other things that have been done to us. And what he heard was oh my gosh, there's this grace coming. There's this world that's about to appear, and it's not going to be held against me for the things that aren't working around me, for the brokenness around me, for the stuff that's not working. Even now in the present, Joseph had hope, and it was rising. It was accumulating. And when you think about the name Jesus, he would have said, okay, well, Jesus is a common name. But then you think about the Old Testament, because Jesus is the short form of the Hebrew name Yeshua, Joshua. And when you think about the Old Testament the Old Testament is what that Joshua led his people to what the promised land of a time of peace prosperity Jesus was indeed if you will the new Joshua And soon you could be you could you could sense like I don't know how long this dream was, but we have the privilege of meditating and sitting in that. And Matthew did too. And so he creates this parenthetical state statement almost just to say, look, this is real. And I know it is because he says in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. This is Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14. All this took place to fulfill what, was, what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. He's here. It wasn't that he was just going to say, hey, there's going to be this great kingdom, this great hope, this new world that's to come. No, it was, it was going to be like, oh no, this is, this is the one who's going to do it. God's going to poke a hole through the universe and make a way to you. This incredible slab of concrete, as Tim Keller would say, he would literally punch through that, slip through that, find a way to come to you and to me to remind us that you're you and me, that he's coming for us, that he himself will restore a kingdom. And that becomes the theological point, I think, of Christmas, which is that Christmas signals to us. Nope, the other one. That's great. But the other one, you got one? Nope. Christmas signals to us that there's hope. There's hope in a world, a new world, and that this new world will be, will reign, uh, will empower people through Christ who will give us grace, not fear. You think about Rome for one second. Rome was do everything for me and then I will protect you and, and, and there will be refuge. Jesus flipped that and said, it's not what you can do for me. You could never do enough for me. It's what I do for you. And what Rome was trying to do through fear to unify in an entire, if you will, world, Jesus was doing through hope because of grace. So much so that a century later, all of what Rome had conquered had become entirely Christian. Hope. They, they would hear Jesus say things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Imagine that. I'm so broken inside, but you're saying that's okay. I can, I can partake. That's good news. He would say things like, um, blessed are those who mourn for they'll, they'll be comforted. Uh, There's great loss that had already taken place, but uh, in this kingdom, you can mourn and there'll be comfort because grace will allow for that. It's okay there's stuff that goes on in your life and in the world. It's okay. Grace reigns, not fear. Right? And he would say things like, blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst to be right. For they will what? They will be satisfied. They will be right. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the land. That would have been huge for them to hear. Their land It is so significant that you hear this morning that Christmas does bring us hope. And if it's true, if this is true, and if it was true for uh, all those who, who heard it then, and it spread all the way from this little part of the Middle East to Portland, Oregon, just think about that for just a moment, then there must be something about this that must create enormous application, and there there are some implications. Here's the first, when it comes to fear. The first is this, that you can engage fear head-on, face-to-face. And and I say that you can do that, like you can engage this thing face-to-face because of this verse here, it says, in, in verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. That was very common uh, for a year during the engagement process. You just didn't share the bed. And he gave him the name Jesus. What did he do? It says that he did what the Lord commanded. What's the command? To take Mary? No, that's not actually the command. Actually, the command is to not what? Fear. Yep. Don't be afraid. In other words, Joseph went right into the fear. He didn't try to ignore it. He didn't try to cope with it. He didn't try to medicate it. He didn't try to to do greater activities around it, like take a vacation and ignore it. I grew up in a home where my mom would say, hey, put your big girl pants on, John. I'd be like, what? Yeah, come on. Tough it out. My mom was an orphan, lost her parents. She saw a lot of hardship and pain and struggle. She would know fear running for her life as a communist government would take over. Shooting her parents in front of her. I mean, she saw it all. She, she would say, just tough it out. And, that, and that's how she dealt with things. And that's how I was taught. Just, you know what? Just deal with your fear. Just, just ignore it. Just cut through it. Gosh, that's so unhealthy. Christianity actually teaches us to what? To face them. To go right into the center of them. Not to somehow make them go away. But, oh no, that we might actually stand in them and be completely fine. Because your fears and our circumstances may never actually change. But oh my goodness. Christ is right there with us. Right? So you can face any fear. And that's what he's able to do for us. You can give, I don't know, quite frankly, you can give fear of the bird. You can stare at it. Tell it to just get out of my face. You can't own me. You can't control me, right? Because ultimately, Joseph knew that there was a future. There was a kingdom to come. There was this heaven and this earth that was a, going to reappear. And that's our second advent that we know and we celebrate, right? After the cross and resurrection, we know that there is this true reality of a kingdom that is to come. That all things are going to be made right and reconciled. And the good news is we don't have to wait for that time. We, we actually are building it now. In other words, Joseph knew he wasn't done. No matter what his circumstances were, that the story was to be continued in his chapter. And so many of us in this space right now need to hear you are not done. You're not done. We're not done. There's so much more beauty and joy and life to experience. I don't know what everyone's gone through right now. I do care about that, but I I don't know what's going on. But I can tell you, we all experience fear. We all have circumstances. And Christianity, this God, this Christmas time, this God incarnate, tells us we can step right into the fear and tell fear, listen, I'm deeply valued by God. And I know there's a future and a hope that is waiting for me. I'm not done. We're not over. And as a community, we'll say, we're just getting started, right? We're just getting started. We're not done. Merry Christmas. Right? There's no Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer behind me, but Merry Christmas. That feels powerful, doesn't it? Well, the second implication is, and I'll go ahead and put that on the, on the screen if, if we got it, is that As we face our fears and deal with them, we can know this, that we are able to cut through them because we are fully loved by God. That means no matter what someone says about you or what a person might think of you, no matter if you wanted to appease someone or somehow win their favor in the circumstance, uh, you're not going to be rejected. God has made that clear. He's made that clear through the cross where he comes for you and and he dies for us and he lives the life we're supposed to live and he dies the death we're supposed to die and he comes and he embraces us and he tells us there's no fear in, in who you are in this moment. Nothing you did in the past, nothing you do in the present, not even the stuff you do in the future could ever separate us from the love of God. Ever. Because there's this hope in Christmas that tells us and signals to us. Oh, there's something so incredible about to happen. It's called forgiveness. It's called grace. It's called love. It's called acceptance. And you and I, as children of the living God, can reign with him in the kingdom because he will always be with us. Emmanuel. God with us. That is... What Christ gives us. And I know some of us in this space, and we're going to conclude here in just a second. But I know some of us in this space right now are saying, yeah, I don't know if that's for me. (laughs) If you knew my life, if you knew my story, or even what happened before I even stepped into this space, you would, I don't know. I don't know if I'm able to to engage that. So how do you engage it? Well, you just, you engage it. You, You receive the Christmas gift. That's how you engage Christmas. You you receive it. I know that sounds simple, but that's actually what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to receive the gift of Christ. And in that place, you're supposed to experience his love and his joy for you. The other day I saw a woman outside Starbucks. It's sunny out. And you know, it rains in Oregon. Didn't know if you knew that. And there was this break in the weather and the sun is hitting her face. And she just pauses, and I'm watching this. It's so glorious. She's just, she sits there, and she just like, she, it doesn't, doesn't matter who's around her. <laughs> she's, she's just, oh, thank you for this sun. <laughs> you ever seen someone do that here? And I do it. I do it. Except you know, if it's 40 degrees, I wear shorts, and I do it, right? It's like, oh, yes, that's a pull under for you right there. But no one questions whether that sunshine is for, for us. That, the woman who's sitting out there doesn't go, ah, oh, I wonder if I should enjoy that sun. No one ever says, ah, oh, I wonder if I should receive the, the warmth of, a, of, a, of, of the sun just drenching my body with, with goodness and, and the vitamins that I need to be healthy. No one ever does that. Why would we do that? Why would we do that with Christ? Why would we do that with Christmas? I said something, some, somehow it shouldn't be for us. No, it's for you, God with us. He made every, he did everything he possibly could to come to you, to us. And I think to reciprocate is the best thing we can do at Christmas. So as you think about Advent, as, as the, it was explained, hey, look, there are Advent readings, there are, there are times where you can pray. I, I would say, do this as Joseph did. It says that he named Jesus. I, I think he must have felt so loved by God the moment he's just like, okay. And he's holding Jesus. First of all, I would be like, uh, don't drop this child. That's I, 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 Seriously. But a second hit would have been like, I cannot believe the son of God is in my arms. To have felt so valued and loved. He named him. He named him. He took him in as his own son. In your fear. In your anxiety. Name Jesus in that. Name him. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And we're going to take communion. I know some of us are also saying, gosh, I don't have that symbol. I don't have that sign. I don't have. Yes, you do. You have the cross. You have the cross. And the cross teaches us this truth. That God so loved the world that he came himself, gave his son. So that no matter what it is that we're going through, we could be forgiven. That we could look and see beyond our circumstances and know that there's no fear. 1 John uh, 1 John, 4.18 says uh, that the opposite of what fear is not actually courage, but it's love. That perfect love casts out all fear. And out of that comes a boldness and a courage that, that, that is so stunning. Because now you're facing your fear. So as you take the cup and the bread and, and you dip that bread, the body that was broken for you, and you dip it in the, in the cup, the, the juice that represents his blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Know this, that you are declaring and experiencing the Emmanuel, that in fact God is with us. Merry Christmas, church. Merry Christmas.